Hello, JR. Welcome to the show. Nice to finally be on mic. <laughs> yeah, we've been, uh, I think we've been wanting to do this since I met you. Uh, well, I've been wanting to do this since I met you at, at the dinner at uh, our shout out to the Westgate Farmer's Market, How I Know You. Um, and you and I were talking and your wife got really upset because it was your first date in like 10 years and I was ruining it. We have had maybe one or two <laughs> dates since then, so yeah. don't feel bad. It wasn't the last date. Yeah, so now whenever I see her with your kids and she shows up, she's like, tell your dad's boyfriend hi. Like, so, um, but I accept all fair criticism. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, it's been a good time, but whenever we sit, we always talk. We always have similar, we see similar issues. We both are for community, I think local community. I mean, definitely what you do in Westgate, and I think just the Westgate community, I think you're a great representation. I would love to buy a house over in Westgate at some point. i got to get on my shit and get my credit right and everything else like that. But if anyone wants to invest and help me buy a house in Westgate, you let me know. I'll give you a good interest rate. I just can't get a bank to approve me right now because I'm a small business owner and I don't show enough profit for most banks. But anyway, I hit you up recently. Um, we'd actually wanted to talk about the uh, vaccines, which we still need to do another show about that. Um, but mainly, what's going on with the Democrat Party right now, JR? Because you are a journalist. Uh, anybody that doesn't know, I was featured in Stock and Barrel Magazine because of this good man right here next thank to you, me. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so what, um, what's going on with the party? Uh, well, to be entirely candid, it's a shit show that's still evolving. And uh, there are a lot of folks on the left who have called out the, the shenanigans and chicanery that the, the DNC and the state-level parties have been engaged in for a very long time. And one of the reasons that people like you and I get along is because even though we don't necessarily share the same political priorities, we share the same enemies. Yeah, and, we do. And, and that's something that I think is uh, crucial to understand. And there, there are a lot of folks that uh, have that common cause that maybe they don't necessarily recognize. And the far left and the far right are far closer than uh, anybody in the middle, especially the corporate centrists, want us to believe. Yeah. So, uh, and and that, that realization is starting to really take hold. Do you feel like you're on either far left or far right? I feel like I'm like up and down more so. Like there's things I like and there's things I don't. I feel like, like I don't, I mean, like I'm for, I guess I'm considered paleo conservative at this point. Like I looked That's it up such a fair because I was like looking at like you're not walking. a metro libertarian. No, man. Like I think like I, I I I don't. I mean, when it comes to a city, like if I'm in the city, like I'm more locally a Democrat. To be honest, like state level, I'm more Republican. Federal level, I'm more libertarian. So it's just like because if it's like you know if if I'm paying taxes, we all have to pay taxes. We got to pay our fair share. We're not getting rid of government locally. We need police. Certain people need police. So it's like, ideally, yeah, we wouldn't need that. But unfortunately, that's not where we are as civilization. So we're as humanity, and I don't think we probably ever will be. So, which probably a lot of my old libertarian anarchist pals will be like, Drew's a status now, or I sold out, or whatever. I don't really give a fuck what they think. So, But, I but think it's also not your fault either. I think no. that there's this reality that a lot of folks eventually get to. And the far, th it comes down to population density. Uh, in order to, in order for 
areas of greater population density, urban areas, even yeah. suburban areas. It's at some point you have to accept a, a certain amount of common cause when it comes to just the administrivia of, of living in close proximity. Uh, I'm not talking about eminent domain or code enforcement Nazis or, or the rest of that nonsense. I mean, you Correct. can still be as, as libertarian as you want there. And a lot of people are. Even dyed-in-the-wool, bedwetting, traditional liberals yeah. uh, have that same position. They don't want people messing with their stuff. They don't want people ratting them out when they think that they should mow their lawn more often. They yeah. don't like what color they paint their fence. All of those are libertarian yeah. ideas that Democrats embrace all the time. Just yeah. leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you also have folks on the far right that recognize when my house is on fire, it's nice to be able to call someone and not have to put it out myself. So self-sufficiency comes from uh, the, the opposite though. of density as yeah. well. If you're farther apart, you have to be more self-sufficient. And if you are closer together at some point, you have to accept a certain amount of shared cause. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think like that's, that's the one thing I like most about Westgate. I think like why... I like that farmer's market and that community so much. I felt bad. I, I was going sober in January, and they had the Westgate Brew thing. And I saw a guy when I was in Grandview. I forget. I was meat coming from lunch. He's like, you coming to the brew tasting tomorrow? What's up, Drew? And he, like, he recognized me, and we were in Grandview. And I was like, man, if I go there, I'm going to drink. <laughs> like, it's, it, it's just, but I think, like, at the farmer's market, I've seen people wearing MAGA hats. Nobody bothers them. I've seen people wearing Bernie shirts. Nobody bothers them. It's like people And those people get along as get neighbors. Along as neighbors because they're like, "Hey, we have a common interest here." And I think and then I think that kind of speaks to us. Like I don't um so I I think that's at a at a neighborly level you know, traditionally people did get along. And I think like the division is it's a it's something that really I feel like started back with um probably in the early 90s they were starting to really focus more on division and, and dividing Paul you know divide and conquer but I think you know the people I don't know I don't want to get too off topic but I think that well I think you're onto something too I actually yeah. saw Noam Chomsky speak a number of years ago yeah and, and, and Donald and, Trump says stuff that Noam Chomsky says ex- exactly and and if you listen to Noam Chomsky for more than five minutes he will eventually get around to manufactured consent but to yeah. your point, I think that in the early 90s, there was a shift toward manufactured dissent, where folks are divided, they're pitted against each other, even when they have shared interests, instead of uh, capitalizing on those, instead it became all or nothing. And we yeah. ended up with two parties of no that oscillate back and forth based on who's in power. Yeah. And that, that was a, a slur that was levied against the, the GOP for a very long time, that they were just the party of no. Tell me that that's not an apt description of the Democratic Party in Congress right now, particularly the House. I think it's funny, like, the, the Clinton impeachment is so similar to the Trump impeachment. It was completely partisan. There was a couple, um, there was a couple Democrats that voted, or there's a couple Republicans that voted no to not get rid of Clinton. I remember watching the vote um, with my mom. I was on local TV, and I and I just thought it was stupid. It's like, yeah, the guy lied about cheating about his wife under oath. What's that have to do with the country? Like, most people are going to lie about cheating on their wives. Watch Maury Povich, which oddly enough, shortly after, Maury Povich went to lie detector tests. Now, if you watch any normal TV, couples court, they do lie detector tests and all this other shit. And it's like, hmm. So this is... I mean, like to me, it's 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 all about entertainment. Like politics now is about entertainment, and I think the thing that 
Trump is doing, kind of the Trump effect is, and I've heard like Martin Armstrong talk about this, is it's like, let's get rid of the establishment, number one. Number two, it's forcing everybody to pay attention that normally didn't know anything, which, you know, impeachment happens, Congress votes on the articles of impeachment, and then everybody thinks he's automatically getting kicked out of office, not knowing that it has to go to the Senate, not actually knowing how government process actually works. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I, I enjoy populism. I'm, I'm totally for populism. I think that in 2016, they wanted to have Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders, and the Democrat establishment played a lot dirtier politics than the Republican establishment did. 2016 was a working-class revolt, and it didn't pick a party to mm-hmm. win. Instead, the, the Republicans did not want Donald Trump. He was not their candidate of choice. We don't. got to see Jeb Bush in his please clap moment, and yeah. he systematically yeah. slayed every single rival that he had. And the reason that Donald Trump ended up being the last uh, candidate standing was because they don't have fucking superdelegates. And that's a huge difference. So the RNC figured out, yeah, Trump's our guy, whether we like him or not, and they fully embraced him. And they recognized that there was, in fact, a working-class revolt afoot. Meanwhile, the DNC still denies one took place. And we may end up in the same place that we should have ended up four years ago, where we have Donald Trump, we have Bernie Sanders, at which point the entire country will win regardless of the outcome because the deep state will lose. It won't be blue no matter who. It'll be fuck you no matter who. And that's what's going to drive people to the polls. We're not going to see lower voter turnout, which is the claim that that the corporate press makes. Uh, We will see a much higher voter turnout because people are going to to vote in their self-interest, which people should. I never fault anyone who votes in their own self-interest. It's it's the point of civic engagement. I think if it's not Bernie, I think that one group of people that have traditionally, I think one group of people have traditionally voted Democrat. I mean, as I'm like, now that I'm, you know, with the hoteps which i don't know if you're familiar with Hotep oh yeah jesus and everything so like had those dudes on my show really tight with hotep jesus uncle hotep doe dubes the president like they're not the only ones saying don't vote if these people don't represent you what is what have the democrats done for black people ever and and it's you know and made a whole lot of promises yeah and not much else yeah and it's like you know you look at ados the ados movement came then that Tone Talks guy and uh, the other chick, magically now they're saying vote straight ticket. I guess their grift is up. and they they're in it. But I think that there is, much like anything, where you, they try to take, I mean, much like any populist movement before the money gets in, the Tea Party, it was, I remember, you know, being for the Tea Party because it represented some Ron Paul people and all that stuff. And then Dick Army threw a bunch of money in. Occupy was behind Occupy. And then George Soros threw a bunch of money at it. Uh, Black Lives Matter was behind that. And then George Soros threw a bunch of money at it. And you look at, like, they're trying to manufacture these movements. And I think that, or they're trying to basically throw money in to control the movements. But I think people are just getting smarter. With the Internet, It the Internet is getting better and better for people to filter out bullshit, taking... So let's fast forward to what our, our chain of messages that led us to this point, the Iowa caucus. What went down there? 
So I have it on good authority from multiple people on the ground with firsthand knowledge, whom I will not name. But independently, they have all shared a very common story, which has proven itself out over the past few days. Yes, you can still steal an election and definitely manipulate it. And sometimes it happens based on who's allowed to vote by purging voter records. There were hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers in Bernie-heavy districts that were purged from the records by the Democratic Party in New York. So it's not just Republicans that are throwing folks off the rolls. Democrats throw their own folks off the rolls if they don't like the way the wind's blowing. And it ultimately came down to, uh, uh, to criminal charges being filed in the case. I mean, people lost their jobs. People went to court. It was a big damn deal. So this does happen. And it's happened before, and it appears to be happening again. The trick is, is that typically only one group tries to tip an election. And what happened on Monday night in Iowa was that there were two factions trying to tip the election who were not working together and discovered each other in the middle of a crime. So by the time that the Iowa Democratic Party, which based on some crazy common corn math uh, and rounding errors was probably going to deny Bernie Sanders a handful of uh, Dele- state yeah. uh, delegate equivalents, which translates into pledge delegates for the Democratic convention. Just by skimming enough in enough states, it will keep him from reaching the magic 1990 pledge delegate mark, at which point superdelegates get to weigh in on the second round. And that's always been the plan for having a clown minivan full of candidates. We topped out at 27 prospective Democratic candidates at one point. Well, what's, weird is, what's weird is now they're all out of money, so more yeah. about to jump in. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Warren is, uh, uh, and there has been that calculus. So we've got Deval Patrick playing it uh, tight and somehow miraculously getting more than 500 uh, Bernie votes, which eventually got called out. And that wasn't just at a large caucus. It was at a caucus that took place in the lobby of the Des Moines Register. So this wasn't a bunch of hayseeds that, that did some sort of crazy math in order for that to happen. It happened right under the nose of the press. And it only got called out by observant folks on Twitter. So you wasn't, had, it, wasn't it the Bernie bros that kind of saved the day? Like they were in the room taking yes, photos? Yeah, they were amateurs. And that was not an accident either. So no. here's how it played out on Monday night and how it has subsequently played out. So you had two folks that were involved, two factions at play. By the time that the Iowa Democratic Party got hold of the votes and still had a little bit of wiggle room on some of the rounding that goes into how uh, state uh, delegate equivalents are uh, allocated. Uh, There was going to be the opportunity to skim inconspicuously. Instead, Pete decided he wanted to win, and the numbers were already cooked by the time that they got them. For reasons that have have been explored ad nauseum, there's the nonprofit organization acronym that was uh, started by uh, the Clinton Brain Trust and the same people who brought you, brought you a bootleg uh, mail server that wasn't actually at the State Department. Was it also the, the, same, the same people that were behind the software that they were supposed to use for the caucus? Yes. So there's that the was... nonprofit organization acronym, and then there's the for-profit business, Shadow, which share offices, even though they claim that they're both independent. It's not as though one's a social enterprise that supports the efforts of the others. No cross-pollination, or in theory, there's not. You had uh, David Bluff, uh, Democratic operative, well-known Clinton surrogate, saying, acronym shadow, I have no idea what you're talking about. Bullshit. He tried to get on the board of acronym. What do you mean he doesn't know uh, what's going on? Meanwhile, acronym was uh, created three days before Buttigieg announced his candidacy. 
and the founder of Acronym, there's a tweet that she wasn't smart enough to lock down congratulating him on his announced candidacy. And she is married to uh, a senior Buttigieg campaign advisor for Iowa, who is a former Clinton campaign advisor also for Iowa. So these are folks who know how to rig an election. These are folks who know, at the very least, how to make sure that some folks have access to that information before anybody else gets it. So uh, Pete declaring victory with 0% of the vote in, that's not an accident. But the problem is, is that when you have two guilty parties who catch each other in the act, they can't implicate one another. But at the same time, the Iowa Democratic Party then isn't going to put out fake numbers and then be party to a fraud that they didn't commit. So they split the difference. Imagine if you had three burglars who all decided to break into the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate, but none of on the same night, but none of them were working together and they all just showed up at the same time. That's kind of the situation we ran into, where the Democratic Party had to pump the brakes on it. They gave Pete his three-day victory lap, knowing that once things closed up, that Bernie Sanders was going to win the popular vote, and damn it, if he didn't win the delegate vote or at least end up with a tie for delegates, then uh, everything was going to go down. But to your point, the app that was created did not work as expected. Well, from my understanding, too, like people that actually looked at it said it looked like somebody created it by following a tutorial on how to create an app. Yeah, it looked like it was created in weeks. It was a low-quality app. Homeland Security didn't look at it. I'm not sure I want that peeking the under the hood anyway. Well, they said, too, like NPR even called it out. Like, uh... Miles, we've talked a lot about cybersecurity since the 2016 election, given that cyber attacks were part of Russia's interference. How big a deal is this, that Iowa Democrats are going to try and use this approach in 2020? It's one thing to introduce a new piece of election technology without really any practice beforehand. And then it's another thing to introduce that piece of election technology without giving any security details about it. We know very little about the specifics of this app. We don't know who developed it or who wrote the code. We don't know what sorts of security tests have been performed on it. These are the two basic questions that any security expert would ask when confronting a new system. And the Democratic Party says basically they're not going to provide any of this information because they're scared it would help hackers. But experts actually say that that secrecy doesn't help against hacking at all. Here's Betsy Cooper. She's a cybersecurity policy expert at the Aspen Institute. Basic transparency around how it was built, how up to date the security of the app is, and how it's been tested all could be made publicly available with little cost to the DNC. Kate, how are these concerns being addressed? As you said, this app is focused mainly on reporting caucus results. Could the election results be, for instance, changed remotely? So because of the way the caucuses work, there are thousands of witnesses who are seeing the results play out in these caucus locations. This year, the party is also using preference cards. So there will be a paper trail involved that could be referenced. So the idea of the results being tampered with, that could be overturned. There will also be contingency plans that the party has set up. Troy Price, the head of the state party in Iowa, says there will be a hotline for folks to call in if the app doesn't work for whatever reason. If there is a challenge. We'll be ready with a backup and a backup to that backup and a backup to the backup to the backup. I mean, we are fully prepared to make sure that we can get these results in and get these results in accurately. Uh, They tried to, I think, promote an app uh, to report the results. The app, by all accounts, just like doesn't work. So we've been recommended to call into the hotline and the hotline has not been responsive. 
And, and have I you, can assure, have you gotten any explanation, Sean? Right Sean, have you gotten any explanation at all of, uh, as to what's going on? No, I have not. No. Uh, uh, I'm just waiting on hold and uh, doing my best to report the results from what, my precinct. What are you hearing? I know you're listening to a conversation uh, from the Iowa uh, Democratic Party. Um, so, this is a real coincidence, Wolf. I just got off hold just now. So I've got to get off the phone to report the results. All right. Uh, go ahead. Report your results. Can we listen in as you report them, Sean? Yep. All right. Cool. Let's listen. All right. Okay. Hi. Hello? They hung up on me. <laughs> they hung up on me. Okay. I've got to get back in line on hold. Oh. Um, they just hung up. It's uh, so frustrating indeed. Uh, Sean, uh, we're going to stay in close touch with you. They call them out and they're saying, well, we're, we're making it super secret, so uh, it can't be hacked. You know, we know that the Russians are trying to interfere. So they've been trying to set up Russian interference, but I think that they couldn't play make that play because, as you said, three different parties were trying to rig the election. Yeah, a hack comes from the outside. You can still rig an election from the inside. And there is there's fair reason to believe that the... Uh, emails that were provided to WikiLeaks of uh, the DNC's internal operations that dropped right on the eve of the last Democratic convention, that those were pinched internally. Yeah. And they, and they didn't get taken from the outside. They were taken from the well, inside. Well, I think the guy that, that allegedly might have released them ended up dead and he was robbed Seth magically. Rich, and none of that case makes any even, sense at all. What's even crazier is now that they're suing... Some law firm is going after people that know information about Seth Rich. His parents still don't have his laptop back. So here's how it played out. Seth Rich, who worked for the DNC, uh, received a call in the early hours of the morning, left his Georgetown uh, home, and told his girlfriend that he'd be right back. And he ends up getting shot in the street, mugged, nothing was taken, and yet police seized his laptop. That was not on his person, was not left at the scene, and they have yet to release it. What the hell does that have to do with someone getting mugged if all that happened was that they were mugged? Yeah. If it was a random crime of opportunity, then why keep his laptop? I mean, his parents don't have access to his, his last thoughts or photos or anything. I mean, there's a moral argument to, to returning something that, as far as they're concerned, should not be evidence in a case. No. So why are they keeping it? Yeah. That's a good question, especially if they were just like case and shot it was a random act of, of robbery and he just got shot and wikileaks has never said that he was the source uh -uh. but they were very active in trying to pull information together that would help in determining who his killer was yeah suspiciously so they they don't put out a reward to solve every mugging that happens in washington dc no there was something else there and anyone who says otherwise um has an agenda or is terribly naive. Well, I just think that people don't want to believe. Like, I look at my parents who, you know, my family, like the my 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 two parents and my brother who lived with my parents, they all like Mayor Pete. My, well, my stepdad, my mom, and my brother. So my mom is not, I don't think she realized that the Democratic Party left her. And, like, she's still holding on to it. Like, a lot of people do. Like, oh, well, they were for unions. Like, Obamacare was not for unions. Like, Obamacare hurt unions. A lot of people don't get that. They were there was never anything progressive about a punitive for-profit insurance mandate that still yeah. left one in ten Americans without any health care coverage. 
even the Washington Post ran a piece today yeah. about how conservative Obama was well, as a president. Also, too, if you look at who was his biggest donors when he was getting elected, it was the health insurance companies. Exactly. Yeah, but that's... You and know. as president, you don't get to call yourself a progressive and have receipts for 26,000 drone strikes. Correct. And it, another thing, too, um, and I do want to say, you know, a lot of people don't know that Trump's actually had more drone strikes, I think, already than Obama did. So, like, he's guilty of this, too. So. But we also don't have boots on the ground. We We're not don't. fighting for front wars. No, no we, have, we have Eric Prince boots on the ground, which yes. I don't know if that's any better. <sighs> How he has managed to weasel his way out of a dark cell for running guns and young girls. I mean, there's a story like 10 years ago where they actually had a rate sheet for blowjobs from underage girls amongst their uh, contractors in the Middle East just to make sure that they weren't getting charged too much. I shit you not. That's that's pretty insane. I've never heard that. I, yeah, I'll have to send you the link. They also have this the executives of uh, uh, Blackwater or... Uh, it's the Academy now, I Yeah, think. Z, and now it's Academy. It's kind of like uh, Time Warner changing to Spectrum. When your name's so bad, you have to just change uh, it and pretend, uh, divorce yourself from any previous brand problems. Well, yeah, they were like, they had three brands. It was... As, since I was laid off, uh, it was Charter, Time Warner, and Light, Bright House. And yeah. now it's all Spectrum. So uh, the, yeah, yeah. There were acquisitions that were in there. But yeah, if, you're, if yeah. your brand is that damaged that you need to change your name, then maybe there's uh, something to it. But yeah, they also have some strange wife-swapping ring among their executives. I'm totally going to have to send you this. this yeah, is, this will go this, in the show notes. Yeah, this, yeah, this is legit. This, this is not uh, some sort of... Uh, to, not disparage any present company. This is not from an obscure podcast with an agenda yeah. or point of view. This is real, legit uh, folks. And and I think that's something that uh, has also changed the landscape this time around, is that there is a legitimacy to guerrilla journalism, real journalism, with a capital J, not that lowercase shit that MSNBC tries to pass off yeah. uh, between commercials for pharmaceutical products. Yeah, well, because you're, you're a freelance journalist. Yeah, so right? like Chapo Trap House. Anybody who's yeah. not following Virtual Texas on Twitter absolutely should. He had this astute but not effete breakdown on how votes are supposed to be allocated in Iowa and why none of the math made sense. And for anybody that doesn't understand the nuance of, of a caucus and first rounds versus second rounds, realignments, and how these are aggregated and the relationship between state delegate equivalents and pledge delegates for convention purposes, he breaks it down into less than 500 words through a series of uh, small tweets. Because isn't, uh, isn't a caucus actually harder to rig? than a primary it is and and there's evidence of that the last time around uh hillary clinton won the overwhelming majority of primary states bernie sanders won the overwhelming majority of caucus states and it comes down to whether states are caucus i thought it was just iowa no there are a handful of caucus states that are out there uh some have changed colorado used to be a caucus state uh i think there may even be one state left that the democrats have a caucus and the republicans have a primary because remember it's it's not uh, all or, or nothing. It's the state-level parties that decide what kind of nominating process they want to pursue. Do you think it's weird that Puerto Rico can have a primary, but they can't vote in the main election? I don't think that it is. Okay. Um, uh, however, I do think that it's odd that expats 
have the ability to vote in Puerto Rico and American Samoa and uh, Guam. servicemen Guam, uh, servicemen serving overseas have the ability to uh, vote as well. And they should. They absolutely positively should. Yeah. Uh, I could I could spend an hour talking about why uh, people who are incarcerated should be allowed to vote. Oh, as well. I agree. I agree too. I think. Um, well, I think what's interesting too is uh, they got a lot of Trump support. Puerto, Puerto Rico went for Trump uh, last time around when there were still competitors on the table, and he won by a huge margin that came down to the incarcerated population in Puerto Rico. Four out of five incarcerated Puerto Ricans who are allowed to vote in primaries. It's a state-by-state decision. Uh, Utah, it was uh, up until just recently, uh, folks who are incarcerated have the uh, right to vote as well. So uh, you don't stop being a citizen just because you're yeah. uh, arrested or serving time. Yeah, I don't think you should be. I, don't, I mean, I think once you get out and you serve your time, you should be allowed to defend your family and own a gun, too. I mean, I, I think that reintegration into society is something that we fall down on a lot. Yeah. And second chance employment is the preferred euphemism now for people who come out of incarceration that are trying to restart their lives. Yeah. And they should have that opportunity. Well, especially like, I mean, I have friends that have multiple felonies because they got busted growing plants. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, mean and, and there, there are people sitting behind that. bars for things uh, in states where what they were doing is now legal. Yeah, and they still are sitting there. Or third strike laws. There's a famous case in California where a guy had two strikes against them already, and he shoplifted a couple slices of pizza because he was hungry. Yeah. And he is doing life in prison over two slices of pizza. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing that, you know, in the first the first uh, block of Super Bowl ads, Trump was pretty smart in running that. Did you see that ad? Yes. Yeah, which to me I think is funny because it's – Politics I, is my football, but I do watch Super Bowl I th- I ads. Think, I think the funniest thing about it is how many uh, Trump supporters are going to say, see, he's not racist, or see, like, that was the thing that really bothered me about the uh, Virginia, the recent Virginia uh, gun rally, which was all racist, for sure, but every, the only photos that were going out were minority, photos of minorities I've never seen as Hotep Jesus pointed out, so many white people happy to see Black Panthers with and, guns. And, and we have a, a strange history with guns in this country. Ronald Reagan voted uh, for gun control in California only when the Black Pan- as governor, only when the uh, Black Panthers decided that they were going to uh, form yeah. an armed militia for self-defense within and, their own neighborhoods. Well, I think what's interesting, too, like Maj Toure from Black Guns Matter, I've also had the po- on the podcast. And actually, I need to talk to you about we should try to put on an event with Maj in the city, like to teach civics and gun ownership and stuff like his events. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Maj. Yes, I am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I was actually uh, made aware of him through Killer Mike, who is a a fierce supporter of Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But at the same time, he also has a tremendous amount of pushback against uh, taking onerous gun laws. Well, it's just go- so crazy. Like who? It's so funny. Like. The black community is never going to disarm, nor should they. No, but it's like, who needs guns more? Black single mothers that live in poor urban areas. Self-defense is a a bipartisan issue if ever there was one. Yeah, I mean, pe- people will complain about whether or not alternate side parking benefits one side of the street versus <laughs> the other in order to keep the streets clean. But, but gun rights should be a bipartisan issue. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that... Um, no one who breaks down your door cares what color you are. No, they're in there to get your shit and rob you, and that's it. And, and Killer Mike has this great defense 
uh, uh, political defense, saying that, yeah, these are the guns that I have, and these are the reasons that I own them, and these are the purposes that they serve, and uh, every Democrat that I know, regardless of how they vote, who is an elected official, has a gun. Yeah. They, they just have a gun because they live a dangerous life yeah. uh, that a lot of uh, Americans of privilege, that a lot of Americans uh, who live in suburbia, they just don't get. And as someone who moved from outside 270 to inside 270, it's a very different landscape. Yeah. Even in the community that I live in, there's, there's crime that happens. I wouldn't say that it's pervasive. I'd say that people are more aware and connected because they live closer together. We get back to that density issue yeah. uh, again. But I, and I think, too, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, again, why I like that community. Like, I don't, I think, it was funny, I was at Upper Arlington, and uh, I was at that farmer's market, and these old, crusty liberals came up to me and they're like yeah you know it's great what you're doing in this city you know what else is a problem guns and i was like how is that a problem do you think i don't have guns living where i live <laughs> they were like it, it was like this what do you think i'm gonna i'm gonna protect myself with my plants <laughs> like no i mean people don't bother me i think because of the plants but at the same time as shit goes down, I want to be prepared. Find me a limousine liberal that doesn't own a firearm. Or doesn't have a guard that has a yeah. firearm on him. I, I think every politician that is... Nancy Pelosi's gated community doesn't have unarmed British bobbies with clubs to, to, to keep the plebes out. Correct. Correct. So, so, going, so uh, getting back with this Democrat situation... You were saying something before you even recorded about what goes on in Democratic parties if you challenge the establishment. Well, I think that we've seen it play out. Uh, just to, to button up things on how they went in Iowa, the only reason that the things have gone the way that they've gone is that because Bernie Sanders knew that he uh, was shorted the last time around and they created their own app and didn't tell anyone about it. So there were uh, campaign volunteers that were at every single caucus location keeping track of the scores. And you've seen my Facebook page. Yeah. Folks here from Ohio that went to Iowa and recorded yeah. the entire voting process, the first round voting, the realignment, so you can see exactly what happened. And there are people who tweeted out their numbers. And then when the numbers came back from the state Democratic Party and didn't match, it was folks on Twitter that said, hey, you do realize that these numbers are cooked, right? And last night, the Sanders campaign released an entire document, uh, blow by blow, of every time that Sanders was shorted a vote and every time that Buttigieg gained and shouldn't have on a caucus by caucus basis. This long document that I had trouble posting to Facebook because it had too many characters. <laughs> it avoided the, it uh, violated their field depth for comments. So I had to make it as a post and then share my own post. That's funny. So, but yes, uh, people who push back against the party, uh, even as primary challengers, that's the whole purpose of the primary. It should be a competition of ideas. Yes. And people should choose who they want to represent them in the general election, not just in Washington, but who they want on the ballot yeah. uh, against all of the parties, not just the other party. We, we, yeah. we don't have pluralism. We are a two-party system, undeniably. They control the debates and the schedule. They control who's divided and by what criteria. They determine how the, the primaries and caucuses are run. There's a reason Bernie Sanders had to run as a Democrat, and it's because both major parties, if they agree on nothing else, is that they have to crush third parties. That's because the Republicans would have won in 92, if not for Perot, and Bush would have lost, if not for uh, Ralph Nader, in 2000. So yeah. within our lifetime, both major parties have lost because of compelling populist 
third-party challengers yeah. that flanked them either to the left or to the right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why Ron Paul ran as a Republican, which really... I mean, if it wasn't for Ron and Paul... And won the Iowa caucus, incidentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's it's something that... Uh, I mean, I, I think people should have a right... Like, it's hard for me to vote because people don't really represent what I'm for on either side. Um, I'll probably vote for Tulsi in the primary because she's most anti-war. You are the textbook definition of disenfranchised. Yeah. No one speaks for you. No one speaks for me. And that's like, which I think it's been kind of funny. I, poor Morgan Harper was the brunt of my live first live stream because she happened to put some of her literature on my doorstep. And then while I was figuring it out, after the show, I was like, oh, she's friends with JR and this on Facebook because I friended her. And of course she didn't. I'm, I'm sure she knows who I am at this point, but she's reasonable res- people can disagree and, yeah. and unreasonable people oftentimes disagree. Yeah. But uh, so, so wh- maybe I'm being a little unreasonable, but I think too, it was like, it was maybe to be funny, but it's also too, like I have a show, like I have my own platform that I created, I guess as a podcaster, I'm kind of a journalist, but not, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a new postmodern art form. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really sure, but it's like, I'm not for, a lot of the, the shit she's pushing. Like, I don't want... And we disagree on a lot of stuff, too. Yeah. yeah Just yeah, a yeah. full disclosure, we disagree you and, on a lot You of and things. I or you yes. and her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I don't, I don't want... I don't... I think, I think the wages are steadily increasing in Columbus. If you look at Aldi, you look at every restaurant's hiring. My kid that works for me, he's about to get a raise to run a dishwashing machine to be $13 an hour because he works hard. And it's... You know, I think there's a lot of work that I think... Unfortunately, Americans think they're better than to do. I've done a ton of shitty jobs. I was a pizza delivery man temporarily while I was getting my business going. But at the same time, man, like I'm not. I took unemployment when I got laid off. I've paid into that system. I used to be kind of like I used to have a different opinion of it till I actually used it. And my mom kind of like helped me see that I've I've benefited from certain benefits that you get from being unemployed, starting a business. Ayn Rand used her uh, Medicare yeah. to uh, get cancer surgery. Yeah, and I, I mean, think, <laughs> yeah, I think if you pay, it's pretty illustrated. You know, I've had forty percent of my money stolen from me, and I say forty percent because I worked on commission. Those capital gains tax on every single commission check I made from the time I was twenty-two until whenever I got laid off, that was forty percent of my money. Not to put my business out there, but you know, I don't think. A federal minimum wage is going to solve things because to me it pins it. Okay, my dad worked at Jeep. Do you know how much the max you can make working in a Jeep factory now is with a union? $15 an hour. You don't get a pension anymore. So I don't think that, I think that it's in the right direction. I respect her populism. I respect, she did put in some work because what I didn't understand was. My buddy invited me to his mom's house to have this candidate that was speaking there. And because it was in Berwick, I was like, oh, that's that wouldn't apply to my district. But you know, Morgan Harper points well, out it's a gerrymandered district. I mean, in that video, like, it's an ugly district. That district is fucked. And again, like some people are upset. I think that there it is, you know, there is an argument to be made that this is the the ADOS candidate that's being challenged. And, and I think that I don't really give a fuck about that, though. I don't think Joyce Beatty's done anything for me. I don't like Joyce Beatty. I don't. 
I went to the debate. To me, it was it was a, it was a joke. Do you notice when they had that debate? Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Great scheduling. It's it's well, it it was one notch above scheduling a presidential primary debate during Game Four of the World yeah, Series. Yeah. They do this on purpose, and they do it when they want establishment candidates to win, yep. and they don't want people to figure out they have a choice. Correct, and I think that the joke was they're both supposedly for let's fight climate change, which I have my own opinions about. Like I think pollution is a problem. I'm not getting on board with the larger picture and i think that the green new deal is is going to probably quadruple our taxes if you look at it like where is this money coming from just like the the new deal that fdr put out which actually murdered a ton of thriving black communities through eminent domain like richmond and all these other cities everyone talks about tulsa the black wall street there they don't talk about the other ones because in segregation there was a lot of them that had their own community because they had to right and I think that there's there's a lot of that history that we're not taught. And, like, thankfully, because of people like Sonny Johnson and, and stuff like that or the Hoteps or even uh, my buddy Mo Fax, like, I've learned a lot recently in the last two years that I did not know. And so I think that, you know, this whole idea of I don't think that all of those, all of her stances apply to her district. I think in our district, houses are still affordable. Um, especially in Linden, I think you should be promoting ownership. I, I don't want, you know, if she said we need to quit having out-of-state investors driving up the prices of our affordable homes that we can buy, um, I'd be down with that. My neighborhood alone, I bought, as you know, I bought my house for forty-five grand three years ago, trying to buy a second house, but now because out-of-state investors are buying houses smaller than mine for $97,000, sight unseen um that's driving up my real estate prices that's hurting my business that's hurting my potential to own to take ownership i'm a native ohioan i've lived in columbus most of my life i like linden i would like to continue to farm in linden i would like to continue to see people taking ownership in linden so i think we should be i think we should be promoting ownership in our district versus promoting regulated rent prices now there's some cities is rent a problem. Yeah, look at Colorado. There's working homeless in Colorado. I New York City has a, a party called the rent's too damn high. Yeah. And and my distant cousin, Jimmy McMillan, uh, there's <laughs> a small beard resemblance. But aside from that, you'd never know we were related. Uh, it's in his entire platform. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I can get on form that. But to me, again, it's like cookie cutter size fits all. Every city is different. It's still pretty affordable to live in Ohio. Ten years from now, Columbus probably won't be. If this is something we need in Columbus ten years from now, maybe. But I think to me it was like taking this Justice Democrat platform. Um, I wasn't impressed with her answers at the debate. I mean, I obviously am not impressed with Joyce Beatty. I'm probably not going to vote for either of them um, because neither of them represent me. But I'm not going to get behind Morgan strictly because she's populist, um, because I, I don't I don't agree with her enough. I don't agree with the Green New Deal, um, her stats on her website. Like she said, the leading cause of death for black men and black youth or police shootings. That's not true. It's higher than it should be. It's like six. But it was like she cites like a L.A. Times article, which it's like, come on, can you at least cite like 
something reputable, not a newspaper article? Like, can you cite multiple studies and say, look, there's out of balances. To me, it was just fodder to let's get poor blacks to vote for me. And that's what it felt like to me. And it's like, yo, our communities have a ton of fucking poor white people, too. I mean, this is Columbus. Like, we have mixed neighbors. That's why the establishment of both major parties. Yeah. It's what they don't want the working class to figure out. Yeah. Is that uh, poor black folk and poor white folk have the same problems. We have the same problems. They don't have all of the same problems. No. Like, look. look. And certainly in order of degrees, depending on where here's, you live in the country, you may have very different problems. But there are a lot of the same problems. I mean, problems. like, you and I are both Appalachian, man. Most Columbus is Appalachian. We are not... Until... FDR was president when we all got whitewashed into being Caucasian. None of our families from the Caucasus Mountains. We're from like we're Celtic people. Like we were barely white for a long time. We're not blue bloods. We're not we're not lizard people royalty, which to me is like white supremacy. Like and I just think like when these terms have been used out of like there is such thing as privilege, there is such thing as supremacy. It doesn't apply to all white people. And I don't think and it, it's it's like, look, here's the thing. Like, Identity politics is its own poison. That's what I'm saying. And oddly enough, the person who coined that term yeah. uh, was a uh, black feminist who has endorsed Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Not on that issue. No, but yeah. uh, it, was, it was kind of the, the pushback of, you know, you, you, can, you can really uh, push your luck by pushing that agenda. And if, if we're going to delve into conspiracy theories, well, I'll get to Morgan first uh, and, and the Democratic Congressional Campaign yeah. Committee and all of the dirty tricks that folks may not yeah. know who are loyal Democrats. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, conspiracy theory on where identity politics is going to factor into this next election in a huge way. Totally. So, I mean, look at, look at Trump's State of the Union. He was what, – what he did was brilliant. He turned the State of the Union – into the most what is most popular on TV right now, which the top shows are reality TV shows, and I don't want to just say a reality TV star like what CNN was saying. That's pretty much what he did. But what he did was actually brilliant, because even if Van Jones was the only one that even pointed it out, even if he doesn't get a lot of black vote, he just needs blacks to not show up and vote Democrat. That's it. Van Jones is is really smart. And I know that you probably recognize this. He was, he, he was smart enough to leave the Obama White House in very short order. Yeah. Uh, and he, he also he also took shit because he thought 9/11 was was an inside job. So, and and he uh, he was uh entirely unapologetic by saying that our military is too large and if if we're going to be employing that many people uh, as as a jobs program, then maybe they don't need sidearms so much as they need screwdrivers. And let's put solar panels on on everything that'll support it from coast to coast, and make ourselves energy independent, so we don't have to have troops uh, in every port from yeah. uh, uh, Marrakesh to Bangladesh. Yeah, and also let's figure out how to get better renewable energy in areas where we don't get a fucking ton of sun, like Columbus, Ohio. Because I've been doing the numbers, obviously based on my profession and. Solar panels are going to help me out a lot in the in the summertime, but in the wintertime, what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah, your your offset has to be pretty significant, and southern exposure is is a factor. Uh, we actually both built a house and bought a house based on low winter sun location. Yeah. So we built a house and uh, 17, 18 years ago now, uh, which we sold a couple years ago, and we built that house uh, based on the rear roof line being unobstructed and having a clear shot of the southern sun and then we bought a house that also faces due south 
with a garage that's taller than the house that sits behind me. A two-story garage behind a one-story yeah. house. And we can throw solar panels uh, on that roof at any time and uh, throw uh, a power wall or some other uh, 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 time-shifting array on it so that the power that we uh, absorb during the day we can consume at our schedule. And a lot of folks don't understand that that's how the technology works. It's like TiVo or some other yeah. DVRs that you, you absorb power when you're using it at least during the day, and then you use it uh, kind of like a peak-rate electricity in California or uh, yeah. doing your laundry at night is something that a lot of folks didn't know that you can actually save money on, depending <laughs> on how you uh, get your water bill. Uh, you can actually save money by doing your laundry at night. Uh, I mean, uh, doing your laundry during the day versus doing it at night yeah. when there's uh, less demand. So uh, once we start to have our utilities uh, priced based on demand, then people are going to start to wake up to that kind of thing. And uh, But energy's so cheap in Ohio right now, which is another... Yeah, it's, it's not much of an incentive. Yeah. Uh, and we need to figure out what we're going to do when it becomes so cheap that it's more expensive to bill for it. The British government figured this out in the 1950s when they put their first nuclear power plant online. It actually made electricity so cheap, they spent money billing that exceeded the cost of providing the service. And it's because they knew they would never be able to start charging people again if they ever stopped charging them. So they actually lost money for more than a decade providing electricity because it cost more to administer the billing and meter the consumption than it did to just provide it to everyone for free. That's pretty crazy. So, and, and we lose that. The, the British are really a, a microcosm that we should look at for all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, like the early televisions came out of uh, the UK and they didn't have a channel uh, knob on them. All they had was uh, power and volume up and down because they presumed that the state was always going to control television. And so there was only one channel. They didn't even call it a channel. It was television on or television off and the BBC owned all of it. Do you think it's funny when people say, well, I like unbiased media like the BBC? <laughs> If everyone has an agenda and everybody should could, should consume a variety of news. And if, correct. Yeah, if you're and, watching and, MSNBC, and also, listen to Chapo Trap House. Work and also work on your fucking critical thinking skills. Learn logic. Learn what your biases are. Like at least keep score on the commercials and yeah. see if there's a correlation between the news stories that you're seeing. Yeah, like or it, the stories you're not seeing. Correct. Correct. And I think that's why you and I do get along because we do have a lot of common interests. Like ultimately. We could work together easily and just because we'd talk it out and I'd say, you know, well, this is important to me. You'd say, well, this is important to me. And we find a common ground. You know what I mean? And it's like people need to get back to it. I think the populist movement needs that. I think first we're going to have, first with that, we really need to have the populism go to battle. Populism needs to go to battle. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, minus Bernie Sanders, they are largely outfunded. Yeah. So Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Told you I'd get back there eventually. Yeah, so the yeah. Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has dues that every member of Congress is supposed to pay and historically has. But there are some notable exceptions. There are folks that aren't doing it now because what the hell are they going to do? They can't kick them out of Congress. It's unenforceable. So uh, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee doesn't just support incumbent candidates. They actually actively undermine primary challengers. So just within the last election cycle, they took out negative ads against a fellow Democrat who was a primary challenger in Texas. So you would watch that commercial and go, wow, I'm never going to vote for that candidate uh, leading up into a primary. And it wasn't taken out by Republicans. It was taken out by Democrats against a fellow Democrat yeah. to, to protect incumbency. Or the uh, Democratic Party of California, 
with which I have numerous problems. But, you know, self-rule still matters. And they decided they wanted to endorse a particular congressional candidate. But the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee didn't like that candidate. They wanted to support the incumbent. So they actually paid to run ads against the Democrat that was endorsed by the statewide party for a congressional seat. Uh, Steny Hoyer got caught on a hot mic, uh, fourth person in charge now that Joe Crowley got sent home, uh, trying to strong arm somebody in Colorado to drop out of the race if he valued his political future. So, I mean, these are draconian tactics that they're engaging in. And I know that you're not a fan of Ocasio-Cortez, but she's one of the people in Congress who does not pay her uh, DCCC dues. She funds her own candidates that agree with her on policy, and I think that more people should do that. I respect her. I mean, I don't like her politics, but I respect her her backing. I respect... Give me a bartender in Congress any day. That's what I said. I mean, you know, I'd probably be more. Give me anyone who out of the first hundred names in the Boston telephone directory any day. And that's what I said to you earlier was like, I'd be more for Morgan if it wasn't Ivy League. She has an impossible task. She was she was adopted by an immigrant mother. She she went to a prep school on scholarship. Uh, She has three degrees. Uh, She is as Ivy League as anyone gets. But at the same time, like I told you before we yeah, started yeah. recording, uh, when I want to size someone up politically, I want to have breakfast with them. And that was actually kind of the thing that to me, like maybe say, man, I've been going really hard at the paint trying to get her attention. <laughs> so, I feel like a dick like, now. Like Mike Stenziano. Who I said, I saw her at breakfast really with like. her boyfriend, man. She didn't have makeup on or anything. If this is an act, man, I, it's she deserves an Oscar. And I was so, like, shit. Yeah, there, there's no long con. I, I think that what's on the box is in the box. Whether or not you disagree on policy is another yeah. matter. Yeah. But yeah, well, if, if, if you get dressed up for a photo op before you go out for breakfast, whether you're a guy and you're cleanly shaved or, or you're a female candidate and, and you, you meet the, the, the liberal press's expectation of what women should look like in public, which is extremely unfortunate. Give me something real. Look at Jane Sanders as an example. Jane Sanders is not Melania Trump, nor does she pretend to be. She is who she, she, who she is. She's a campaign volunteer when Bernie Sanders ran for mayor, and she is still essentially a campaign volunteer for his candidacy for president. Is she related to Bernie? Uh, yeah, she's his wife, Jane Sanders. <laughs> I, so, isn't she the one that ran that university into the ground? Well, it was a university that was already circling the drain. It's hard to pin that one on her. It and then she, but she got all that money and they bought that big-ass house? Uh, she did inherit a house. So I, I think that's something to, to take into to account. And it also has to do with price of real estate, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is relative. So I have a brother who lives in northern Virginia. So he, it's not, he, it's not what it was painted was, to be? Right, yeah. He, uh, it was uh, a house that they'd lived in for decades that they already had paid off and then uh someone in jane's family passed away and they inherited a house and then there was another home that uh uh home but not house that was in dc because if you work in washington you live in washington never mind all of the grifters that are living uh with the family that religious commune that's there in dc i won't name them this time but we'll talk about the the fellowship later well you know what's interesting is kanye's rhetoric sounds really similar to theirs at this point uh, yeah it kind of does in, in a really really creepy way but yeah there's there's a place i'll send you a video when you went to uganda because you know the family's all in uganda and it looked like the leader gave him that little book that they pass out there, there's truth to that. There, yeah. there is definitely truth to that. The CIA so, yeah. 
controls Uganda. So yeah, so so Bernie had a, a small home in Washington uh, where he works. There was the home where his his wife lived, and all of his family came to visit. And then someone passed away, and they inherited another house. And the plan was to sell all three of these so that they could have one place that was big enough for their blended family yeah. to all come and visit. So they've made this into some huge mansion when it's really not. Yeah. Uh, and and realistically, really, uh, I mean, you've had folks say, well, Bernie's a millionaire now. Yeah, he wrote a couple of really successful books. I mean, also, too, but I mean, so it's Ron Paul. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, there's... I and mean, Elizabeth Warren is rolling in money, that Elizabeth, some of which was earned by she, helping deny women with ruptured breast implants get their day in court and their due in settlements. She, she's a total... I mean... I can't stand. She's on the bottom of the list for me because it was. I mean, I'm 48 years old. I think I know which way the wind blows, <laughs> yeah, and I'm the same stole, age that Elizabeth Warren was when she decided she was suddenly a Democrat. And she Bullshit. also. And she also stole Bernie's campaign. Oh yeah. I mean, it, she. I mean, it's it's funny too. Like how many people came out to sound like Bernie, which also was funny because then the Democrats were like, "Oh fuck, what are we gonna do?" They're all trying to talk like that. So I still think Hillary's going to swoop in. You and I have discussed this, and yeah. you've seen me post it for for months. Yeah. I, I call that Hillary is going to be Hillary Clinton is running for president until she wins or dies. She's still got her machine going, and the, if you think, look at the timing of the Hulu documentary that's coming out three days after two, yeah. Super Tuesday, and you and I have talked about this before. Steve Bannon it, saying it, it too. It premiered at Sundance the week before the Iowa caucus. There was all the press that led up to it. If this is still a a three-way race, which it could well be, after Super Tuesday, then I wouldn't count Hillary Clinton out. I also wouldn't count her out, even if they don't think that she can make it at the ballot. If Bloomberg is nominated with a little bit of help, wink, wink, then he may decide that he wants to pick her as a running mate. And while I think that being... While I think being president of the United States is not the most dangerous job in the world, being the person who stands between Hillary Clinton and her becoming president of the United States is the most dangerous job in the world. The hag. I, the yes. With hag, Hillary assassination yes. group. Yes. I, I, I could see an outside possibility that I'm not going to put Nate Silver's odds on, though I've actually beaten him on a couple of predictions. Beat I, him on Michigan last time around with I Bernie. Think, I think he's only... I think he's been really right once, and then he changes his prediction at the very yeah. end. Yeah, somehow he's always right now. I think he got really lucky once, and, and now he gets really astute. He was way wrong Trump. And then, like, people, I said that to my stepdad. He had Bernie down by 20 points the morning yeah. of the Michigan primary, and Bernie ended up winning it by two. Well, people want, I mean, that's, I mean, that's. Because that's, it's working class voters that they're not calling. Even. They're I working. Mean, they're not sitting at home answering their landline phone between Matlock reruns. Everyone says Steve Bannon is so evil. I mean, I, I, he's pulling strings, but fuck, that dude works hard. And I think that he wants the he wants the showdown. Donald Trump wants the showdown. He wants the showdown with him and Bernie. That was the election everybody wanted. Do you remember At Midnight by any chance? A lot of folks don't. It was a it was a satirical game show that Chris Hardwick did yeah, at midnight. That was the best. That was the best debate. The the, <laughs> yes. the, the comedians that played yeah the Bernie, the Bernie and, Trump. and Trump debate. I need awesome. to repost that. It was so awesome. It it was barely satire. Yeah. The it show was, was barely satire, guy, but that particular one was played, was right those on. Those guys that played him, the guy who played, excuse me, excuse me, like the way he was doing that shit was so funny, and it's um, but I think that's, I mean, it's weird too. Do you think it's also interesting that the media is painting all populism as racist? 
I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. And, and if you look at the demographics, it doesn't bear out. So, uh, I would not be surprised that I could see a possibility that if Bloomberg runs, selects Clinton as his running mate, he miraculously wins, which I don't think would happen. I could see him being inaugurated and saying, you know what? I'm going to step down because I think that Hillary Clinton should have won last time. And she ascends without actually being elected president. Like uh, Ford? Yeah. The only non-elected president ever. I, I could see it playing out that way. And I'm well satisfied that the only reason, I think the timing of the impeachment was suspicious for two reasons. One, there yep. were lots of other things that they could have gone after first, but Pelosi was only interested when Pence suddenly was in play. Yeah. And it's because they didn't want President Pence any more than they want President Trump, maybe even less. Did you see Bill Crystal? But who's third in line if Trump and Pence both go away? That's, a, that's a pretty powerful act. Bill Crystal was launching ads, Pence for president. With yeah. the impeachment, and also the neocons are going back home to the Democrats. Bill Crystal announced he's a Democrat now. So, and David Frum's out there too, switching teams, and and I think it's mostly so that he can uh, take a stab at Bernie. Yeah, and and get published by the the corporate left. So yeah. now they can say, oh well, well now Frum's one of us. So we should really listen to what he doesn't like about Bernie. But Bernie is a there's a crossover appeal that comes with populism. Yeah, and you can look at the Bernie Bros who went and voted for Trump. Yeah, so not in the significant numbers that have been portrayed, but there were a lot of folks that wouldn't have voted for a Democratic candidate anyway. So the Democrats yeah. didn't lose votes. No. They, there were votes that they didn't have. Yeah. And I think that the Democratic Party increasingly needs to figure out that they haven't and earned votes. And, also, and you have to earn everyone's vote. And they also didn't talk about the black voter turnout was way down from when Obama was running. And I think it's going to continue to go down and they need it to be. There were a lot of demographic groups that, that were down. They also didn't talk yeah. about the thousand counties in the United States that voted for Obama twice yeah. and then voted for Trump. Yeah. So there, there was a shift. Uh, I think that there were. Because uh, Obama was a populist guy. Originally, yes, he he ran on populism. He he, uh, Cornell West put it best. He ran as a progressive, but turned out to be a counterfeit. Yeah, yeah. and if you think about it, Bill Clinton did the same thing too. He did. So they were all corporate elitist. Whether it was uh, Al Gore or Hillary Clinton or John Kerry, the only reason that Obama and Bill Clinton got into office running as uh, progressives and populists that they were not is that Bill Clinton wrapped his rhetoric in an Alice. Uh, Arkansas accent and Obama wrapped his in Chicago street cred. Otherwise they would not have been elected. Yeah. And if you actually read Thaddeus Russell pointed this out, if you actually read Obama's published writings, he did exactly what he wrote about. I mean, everything he wrote about, um, he did. And I think that he just said one thing and did something else. And, and I think, you know, I mean, that's politics as usual. I think like people, I mean, I can, I have some real criticisms of Trump. I mean, unfortunately, I have to spend half the time saying, that's not what he's saying, or that's not what he's doing. It's like, I don't even want to defend him, but I have to because it's like, y'all are just so blind. Like, you just are believing, like, even the Washington Post fact check things. It is so, it's like, she's lied over 16,000 There was a times. purge at the Washington Post after the last election. I am friends with someone who was a victim of it. Anybody who had anything nice to say about Bernie was gone. Yeah, now the they election. have a guy that follows him. Yeah. And it's also because Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post now. And I'm pretty sure the NSA control, like, has a big stake in Amazon. So, well, 
there's so much cross-pollination <laughs> yeah. between politics and the, and the industry, especially on the tech side. I mean, a lot of folks don't know Do you remember that. Remember when the techs used to all be libertarian? What happened there? Well, they thought that they could get their guy in office. Do you know that Pete Buttigieg is Facebook user number 287? Really? I shit you not. Uh, and anytime you see a swelling piece on Pete Buttigieg in New Republic, uh, he was college friends with Chris Hughes, who's the former owner of New Republic, who, coincidentally, Chris Hughes was uh, Harvard roommates with Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. Uh, all of these folks know each other. We're going to go after the Ivy League. Let's yeah. go after all of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm down. I'm down. So, but uh, yeah, I think that there's, there is a different way that, that um, academic credentials are, are treated. I mean, everybody talks about, oh, Buttigieg is a Rhodes Scholar, just like Clinton was. Well, you know what? Cory Booker's a Rhodes Scholar, too. But, yeah, CIA, but he's black. The CIA he's controlled both of them. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. They, and, and when you look at the uh, demographics, there's, it, there's an argument to be made that Iowa is a measurement of momentum. Yeah. And that... Uh, New Hampshire is more uh, uh, a measurement of, of electability. But I don't think that that's entirely mutually exclusive. If you look at where Bernie Sanders won and where his rivals failed in Iowa, it was one really big, awkward, disastrous focus group yeah. on, on how Bernie Sanders wins. And Bernie Sanders won uh, the overwhelming majority of... Uh, uh, caucuses that had a majority of African-Americans voting, largely immigrant communities. A lot of folks don't think about there being first-generation immigrants in Iowa but because they have such a large, uh, they're in the center of the country. They have a lot of logistics, kind of like Columbus. They have a lot of meat processing and for sure. it's inexpensive it's to live It's inexpensive there. to live there. So it, it's a draw for immigrants. Not every... M but he comes to the United States through Ellis Island and then stays there for generations. So that many, just doesn't happen I, I mean, there's so many Uber drivers and Lyft drivers that I have that are immigrants, and I like to talk to them about stuff. Where are you, where are you from? Oh, I originally was in New York. I was here. It's so expensive in New York. I like it here. It's My it's brother lived in New York live. for a stretch and paid, paid twice as much as what we pay in mortgage for a house two decades ago for a place that was small enough to piss and fry an egg at the same time. It was so <laughs> tiny. It was a walled off in-laws quarters on Staten Island. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's become untenable. I did an interview with uh, G Love, I guess it was last year or year before last. I guess it was year before last now that I think about it. So it's not quite two years ago. And uh, he started in Philadelphia and he said that Philadelphia has now become too expensive for artists to live in, musicians, any kind of artist, because everybody who can't afford to live in New York anymore is essentially moving to Philadelphia as a satellite city. So it used to be the people live in Philadelphia when they couldn't afford to live in New York. Uh, and that's now so true that people can't afford to live in Philadelphia anymore. So, but he likes places like Columbus because artists can still afford to live here. I it's talked not to this, easy, but they can do it. I'm going to have this guy on because I was, uh, my buddy is a, in the sneaker business, which reselling of sneaker industry people. Most people like that they scratch their head, but go to a sneaker show and you'll see there's a lot of cool things with entrepreneurship there. There's a lot of annoying shit there too, but hey. Eyewear is another industry that has a lot of innovators and yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, and so like my buddy Tony, I was just talking to him. I was like, you know, man, like for what you're paying for a room in your sister's spot in New York, you should just move to a place like Youngstown, get a house for less than 20 grand and then still do what you're doing with the sneaker thing. Youngstown's not that far of a drive from New York City. So then like a few years later, I, I didn't talk to the guy in a while 
And then I look on Instagram. He's in Philadelphia, and he was telling me that. And then he randomly calls me. And my I was going up to Youngstown at the time because my grandmother had started hospice. And so he goes, hey, man, what's going on? I said, hey, not much, man. And where are you at these days? He's like, dude, I bought a house in Youngstown. He got a, like, a big-ass house for 18000 <coughs> Totally livable. Loves it there. He's trying to get in, he's in a, a historic community there. He's trying to get involved. And he's like, you know... These guys are trying to do stuff with business there, but this church owns all this land that used to be an amusement park, and they don't want to use it for anything. I wonder if it was a Luna Park. I think so. There's a a series of Luna Parks on the East Coast. We used to have one less than a mile from where we're sitting right now in Clintonville. There's a little bit of the fence that's still left. Interesting. They used to have a huge dance hall. They had uh, a uh, giant... Uh, skating rink that was there. But yeah, right up here at, uh, near the intersection of Indianola and uh, North Broadway, uh, huh. there used to be an amusement park that was a series of parks. Uh, I think it's called Olin Tangi Park, if I remember correctly. But uh, Luna Park was the parent company. They owned a bunch of them in uh, the Northeast and like New Jersey, New England. I mean, every place, uh, stomping yeah. grounds of Bruce Springsteen, all of that still yeah. kind of came through. And then they moved west. And they got about as far as Ohio, and there were a handful of them that were in there. But yeah, there are a few vestiges that are still here in Columbus of that amusement park. So I wouldn't be surprised a lot so, of Youngstown is too. Yeah, so this guy in Youngstown, he's got like all these these old things of the park amusement like rides and stuff and he has a little museum and he only he opens it up once a year but it's like man like there's a lot of ohio that's still for sale and i think that's that's i think any representative of ohio needs promoting ownership take ownership we need ownership on a small level unfortunately people don't know the difference between revitalization and gentrification uh gentrification involves bulldozers bulldozing old structures building new ones revitalization is we got existing structures here let's renovate them let's get them going again like let's do this now there are a lot of houses in linden that were put up pretty sh- i mean most of the basement work is horrible but um but some of them were very durable well yeah I mean, my house but, was 75 years old when i bought it yeah and when i think about the amount of repairs that we had to do on a house that was 16 years old in order to sell it yeah it was not built like a fortress but no. the house I live in now was, and it was built right on the eve of World War II. Yeah. So mine's mine's post-World War II. Like, Linden, I think, I mean, they're all the same house, and I think they threw them all up. My house was built in, like, 48. It's, it's on the grid, too, so it was really easy to do. There are a ton of houses that happened then, because in January of 42, so after Pearl Harbor, in January of 42, the federal government froze all rent, and... Uh, because they knew they were about to create a housing crisis in February, they created this fund that homeowners, essentially for zero equity, could borrow money from the federal government to subdivide their homes into multiple dwellings. Because, again, they knew they were about to create a housing crisis because in March they made it illegal to build houses. Everything became a work commodity. You told me that. It's why I don't have a driveway because they originally were going to put a driveway in. We had the reinforced basement And you're the only ranch home, too, right? Yeah, we're also the only ranch home because everybody wanted to unload their land. And we were the one that got unloaded before the war. And then they ended up turning the rest of the land into a big park across the street because nobody knew how long the war was going to last. But yeah, they just threw our garage doors on the back of the garage and shorted us a driveway. But yeah, if you go uh, uh, just blocks from here uh, around campus or even an old town east, all those big old houses that were chopped up into apartments, that wasn't done for the benefit of college students or low-income renters. It was done because of the war. Mm -hmm. And they stopped building houses and then they put up communities really fast because there was this pent-up demand. So 47, 48, there's a huge housing boom everywhere. Yeah, so I think, and I think we should be encouraging people 
to take ownership of that. I think these housings are affordable. So that's my biggest beef. I think realistically, I should have probably not been an asshole and a troll going after Morgan Harper, but I had a lot of fun doing it, so I don't really mind. But you know, she got a lot of attention, and people started looking at her policies and going, "Why am I supporting Joyce Patty again?" Yeah. We we should always look at alternatives. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I agree. and I was a registered Republican it, it, for a very long time, so that strategically so that I could vote for the candidate that I thought was least competitive in the general election. So I make no apologies for having voted for uh, Mike Huckabee. Yeah. Having voted for, uh, who else did I vote for uh, uh, undesirably? Uh, uh, it's escaping me. But yeah, there are a handful of yeah. Republicans that I voted for in the primary. I voted uh, for in, Bernie in the primary because I'd rather see him win than Hillary. Yeah, folks should have disruptors. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Bernie, the, the way that the votes were slow rolled out was very strategic as well. Crystal Ball, who you may or may not know, she's on Rising. She got kicked off of MSNBC. She ran for Congress herself for a while. Uh, we have this kindred connection that she doesn't know about. Don't tell my wife either. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, she was uh, interviewed recently for an article that ran in Jacobin Mag. I'm an honest Jacobin. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she happened to be at the museum in D.C., which is a museum celebrating journalism and the written word and uh, current events. And, and it's not as political as folks might expect it to be from the outside. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, she happened to be getting interviewed potentially when we were there. We didn't find out until after we came back a few days later when the story ran and they revealed that they interviewed her and she was like seeing all of the same exhibits that were there and they kind of weaved it into the narrative. But she grew up in Virginia, but after college, she moved to East Liverpool, Ohio. And it was a formative experience. And it's something that the coastal elitist and the corporate centrist and the limousine liberals just don't get. The working class people all share the same problems. Have you, yeah, I went there. There's this girl I went to high school with. She lives there. I don't know what drug she's on. I bought her some breakfast. Um, man, I got I got love for her. Like I hope I've tried to help her, but it's like her. I think her family's kind of disowned her at this point. It's a hard community, and dude, there and, and it is not she, unique. No, and it's and I think you go down. It's coal country too. I mean, you go down that line between like Pennsylvania and Ohio, and then Ohio and West Virginia, and then eventually you get down to like Ohio, West Virginia, and Kentucky. You make that little loop everybody's devastated man nobody's nobody's doing well and i think that i think we need they're drowning and whoever offers them a life preserver they're gonna take it exactly and i think and so that's you know those people are forgotten and i think you know there's a lot of people in this city that are forgotten so i get it like but i i think that what they need are tools i think they need tools they need we do need things to you know teach civics to say these are your rights these are what you can do they need empowerment so my daughter at 14 years old just recently so uh was coming home every day this week from school wanting to know what the delegate count was in iowa Uh, uh, and i'm pretty uh, sure she's uh, the only kid in her class that was doing so so it's something that you teach your kids because it's not necessarily something that they're going to learn in school that you have to be a participant and uh, the, the other big uh, insight that came out of uh, Sanders wins in Iowa, even as they're now coming in and wanting to do a recamp. Are they at 100% yet? Uh, they were a fraction away. And then the DNC wanted to step in and do a re-canvas because they're just going to keep counting so long as, as Bernie is winning. So he, he was ahead by around 6,000 in the popular vote. 
uh, in first round votes. And then once things were uh, put into the realignment, then he was at about half of that after the realignment. It's probably going to end up being a draw at 11 delegates each, uh, pledged delegates for the convention between Buttigieg and Sanders. But they gave Pete a three-day victory lap. Uh, but Sanders knew exactly where all the errors were. But if you look at the individual areas and the demographics that are included, Bernie Sanders won 98% of Latino votes in Iowa, yeah. which is a big damn deal. It is. And Joe Biden didn't win a single caucus that was majority African-American, and we keep getting talked uh, to about how Biden is going to uh, capture the uh, South the Car- black vote South in South Carolina, Carolina is in particular. Tell some, some some different stories. They're already trying to downplay those results. They're claiming that uh, Republicans are planning a crossover vote campaign to vote for Sanders uh, in order to disrupt it because it's an open primary state and yeah. you can do that. So I I think that's going to be a negligible number of votes. But mark my words, they're going to lean on that and say that this is the reason that Sanders won. That it's those meddling so, Republicans. So wrapping up, we're we're about an hour and fifteen minutes. We'll have to record again at a great time, Jr. We got to do this more often. We're we do have to do this guys. more often. We do. We really do. Because you're like, when I want to know shit about the city, I talk to you. <laughs> and I know a lot about the city. But we didn't like, even talk about tax abatements and no. city council and red light cams and no. the school district having to give money back to real estate developers for the trolley barn in Old Town East. Really? Yeah. I also gave a huge abatement to Nationwide Children's Hospital for a for-profit corporation to set up shop there. And then parents complain about why their kids' schools don't have air conditioning or falling down around them. Well, that's why. Yeah. But we can get there later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All politics is local. No, no, no. Yeah, we need to... I want to focus more, you know, relaunching the show now that... I don't feel like I'm drowning constantly with the farm. <laughs> like, and it's like, hey, I got a good business now. Much thanks to you, man. So I think that um, love to have you on, share my platform with you whenever. What do you? How do you think things are going to shake out? Do you think they're going to screw Bernie again? I think they're going to do everything in their power, but I'm not sure that they can stop him. Okay. So what if they do? What happens? Well, here's how it plays out if they stop him. They continue to dilute the vote. Uh, which they may, all the pieces may already be in place. It's the only yeah. reason you have 27 candidates running. Uh, I think that Warren's inevitably going to have to drop out. She's already canceled $350,000 in travel uh, between South Carolina and Nevada. I think which, Joe's going to have to drop out. Uh, he's running out of money. He's he's fourth place. I, I, Obama I, won't even back him. I, I predicted that Obama was going to be the next one to come out against Bernie. They couldn't seem to get anything to stick to him. So Warren made her smear. And then Biden came out and said that he was manipulating video related to his social security position. Hillary has not stopped. She was on Ellen uh, harping about him. Uh, She doesn't need to go after Bernie Sanders to promote her film. But she has chosen to do so the same way that she went after Tulsi. Oh, conspiracy theory. Tulsi Gabbard's not running for president of the United States. She's running either for secretary of state, secretary of defense, or maybe a VP spot. And this is why, if you look at, Tulsi's not running against Sanders. Anytime that anybody comes after Bernie, Tulsi is right there to have his back. And it's because she is untouchable. Bernie Sanders can't go after Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg. But if you have a female religious minority racial minority, uh, Hindu, Samoan, uh, 
decorated combat officer. She can hit anybody like a hammer as hard as she wants to on the debate stage. And eventually Hillary Clinton figured this out and why she wanted to paint her as a Russian asset what because about? she's trying to keep her from undermining him. And she's picking up a whole lot of support. Did you see in their lawsuit against Hillary? Oh, they which added, was the day after Hillary came out after Bernie. There which, are consequences. Which was also good because the lawsuit said Tulsi has never had thoughts of suicide and has zero intention of ever killing herself. So that that one turned out to be a fake there at the bottom of the page. Unfortunately, oh. I, I dug into the actual terms, oh, that's but too bad. Uh, which is too bad because that that would have been. Uh, a vicious trolling but, but uh, i think most people believe it so yeah. that's already and the damage is already the, done to hillary if you if you look at the way that tulsi's poll numbers as it relates to the debate go the they threw him out so they could let mike bloomberg in with his single donor himself uh they instead. made they change the rules for yeah, him they, they had to which which is the pivot that i think they've realized that biden's a losing bet uh warren is withering and that bloomberg may be their best bet their their plan is to run an arrogant out-of-touch new york billionaire against yeah. an arrogant out-of-touch new york billionaire well and the thing is too though but when it comes to being a billionaire trump is a poor fucking billionaire compared to bloomberg but bloomberg's like close to bill gates billionaire i mean you know what i mean and he owns a media empire he does i mean it's and it's it's just um if rupert murdoch which he couldn't because he's not a natural born citizen but if rupert murdoch or someone of his caliber were to run as the republican candidate for president yeah it'd be the same they would lose their shit oh yeah yeah i think it's interesting so but yeah tulsi gets to play mean tulsi gets to push back Tulsi gets to look awesome in that white suit, uh, which no one else could pull off. And yeah. and yeah, there's there's a little bit of a wink and nod that's going on. She's a fellow at the Sanders Institute. She resigned from the DNC in uh, early 2016 before all of the stink hit uh, right before the convention saying she she told us what she was doing. We just had to look in hindsight and figure it out. She said, as a Democratic Party official, I cannot endorse a candidate. So I'm resigning because it would be unethical for me to be pulling for a candidate from the inside. That's exactly what she was saying. Versus Donna Brazile. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Tulsi has a very specific uh, brief. And that is to defend Bernie Sanders in a way. Tulsi Gabbard can say that Biden's too old where Bernie can't say that Biden's too old. So you think that she, um, do you think she would be his pick, his VP? Like, who do you think he chooses? He or Nina Turner. I really like Nina Turner. Uh, I think she's spectacular on the stump. I think that she has exactly zero fucks left to give. She called Bloomberg an oligarch on MSNBC on Monday night, and they decided that they didn't like the way that they didn't like her tone. She's a little bit too uppity for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, the woke folk on MSNBC. And so they came back around and gave her a chance to rephrase, and she doubled down hard on it. That's good. So I I think that it was uh, absolutely uh, essential. So I wouldn't be surprised if if Nina Turner's there. I think that Tulsi Gabbard has the foreign policy experience, particularly as it relates to unnecessary military involvement, escalation, and imperialism that will follow through. I actually pitched, I uh, made a soft pitch that if Sanders were to run again, this was not last year, but end of the year before, before any of the candidates declared, that if Bernie Sanders was running again, because of his age, he should come out and name his vice presidential candidate up front so people know who's next in line. And that it would have been a shrewd maneuver. And I suggested Tulsi Gabbard. And then she announced and then he announced. And I thought, well, maybe this won't work out so bad after all. And it turns out I was dead wrong. She's been far more effective as a surrogate 
while running on yeah. the debate stage. So his ideas don't seem so and crazy. She's, and she's still getting funding. And she, well, she's getting funded from Bernie folks. And here's how I know. Yeah. Uh, I gave her some money. So yeah, I gave her money too. Yeah. And, uh, and I gave her either $27 every donation or I ended up with 27 cents. And that's the signal that you're actually a Bernie person. So all of the other candidates that struggle with debate qualification, they couldn't make it on number of donors. They, they had poll numbers, but they couldn't make it on the donors. Huh. Tulsi had exactly the opposite problem when she was the only one of the entire field of candidates that did in terms of the qualification who actually made the stage. And it's because Bernie folks are funding her yeah. as well. And they are signaling to the campaign, I'm with Bernie, but I'm also with you. I'm in on it. And so they would give her either $27 increments or they'd end their donation in 27 cents. And that let the Tulsi campaign know we're with you, too. Yeah. But when you call those folks on the phone, never mind the boomer bias that goes into all of the telephone polling, calling landlines instead of cell lines. I, um, they call me. Like, so, you know that? I, yeah, I, it, I answer all the time. I'm like, oh, no, yeah. no, call me back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're in Ohio, you get all the calls. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the reason that Tulsi had that flip that nobody else seemed to struggle with is that, yeah, she was getting donations from Bernie folk, too. Interesting. But when they call and they say, who is your first choice pick? They still say Bernie. So she was low in poll numbers, but never struggled with donors and everybody else had the opposite problem. Huh. But the, the reality is, is that Bernie Sanders needs to play nice enough with the candidates, uh, supporters who he's likely to absorb. So you won't hear Bernie Sanders saying that Andrew Yang is crazy with, no. uh, minimum basic, uh, universal minimum income. Yeah. Uh, or universal basic income, uh, whether you go the UBI route or the UMI route. Yeah. Uh, and you won't hear him say anything negative against uh, Tulsi. And he tried to stay um, out of the fray with Warren as best he could until as well she, until, until, she went, until she went after him uh, two years after an alleged event that only two people were witness. Yeah. And uh, Washington Post actually debunked that one, much to my surprise. They said, yeah. We heard about this conversation secondhand immediately after it happened, and it was uh, Donald Trump will use everything in his power and every tool he has available in order to uh, ding whomever the ultimate candidate is. He never said a female candidate can't beat Donald Trump. He said Donald Trump will use whatever he can against yeah. whoever the nominee is. But realistically, Bernie Sanders is the carrot and Tulsi is the stick. Because if Bernie doesn't get to 1,990 votes on the first round with pledge delegates only, then superdelegates get to weigh in and all bets are off. And we end up with Mike Bloomberg as the nominee, as a consensus choice. Or maybe we end up with Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's yeah. really hard to tell. But if Bernie doesn't get to 1990 on his own, he needs to have delegates that come to him from other campaigns. I think he's going to pick up the Yang votes for sure. Uh, I'm surprised that... Uh, uh, Castro did not decide to to endorse Bernie Sanders uh, and instead endorse Warren. Uh, but I mean, this, what do you this, think about the New York Times with their endorsements? Uh, <laughs> I thought that was just bullshit. I can't believe that they in, well, a they left Tulsi out entirely, well, so they can't course. say that they just endorsed all female candidates. No, no they did not. They only endorsed all uh, white ones. They, they they exactly. They also endorsed uh, Klobuchar, who is is the worst boss in Washington. I mean, everybody, I hope everyone has seen uh, that her staff absolutely hate her, that she forced one of her staffers to stand there and watch her eat a salad with a comb because she'd forgotten to bring her a plastic fork. That sounds like... Uh that sounds like shit Bill Cosby was supposedly doing. If 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 they were making a a re if they were making a and an inspired by true events HBO series yeah. on this election, I think that Kathy Bates reprising her role from misery would be the perfect Amy Klobuchar. What about Stacey Abrams? Do you think she's in play for a VP? 
I don't think that she is. Okay, because that's a lot of talks. Like I've heard, I uh, would see Nina Turner ahead of Stacey Abrams. Well, no, not for not for Bernie. But oh. I mean, for an establishment pick, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, let's say, and it'd be pretty shameless. Yeah, Stacey Abrams doesn't have any more foreign policy experience than no. Nina Turner does. Uh, but at the same time, Obama really didn't have a whole lot of foreign policy experience either. No, she seems and it did not seem to hurt his uh, chances at all. She seems to be like the uh, kind of like the boule play. And the Democrats for because she thinks she wants to run in 2030 something. That's what she's saying. She's going to run for president recently. Adam Curry's big on her. I don't know if you've ever listened to No Agenda. Um, but um, anyways, we're at like an hour and 25 minutes. We should probably wrap it up. You People are going to be sick of hearing from us. <laughs> Edit out all of the boring stuff. No, no, no. It's, it's all get down staying. to like 15 minutes and it's people all can stand. Staying. I don't think so. I think it's good, man. Jared, thanks for coming. If people want to follow your work, I know you just launched your site um, because I have pinned in my tweet still the article you wrote about me. Um, it's a work in progress. I'm, 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 I'm looking forward, not back, which makes backfilling content extremely challenging. But uh, I've got a few spec pieces that may run uh, in national publications. Uh, I'm not going to tease those. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there's some mastheads that are out there that uh, may be interested in a certain criminal enterprise that is based here in Columbus, uh, which I have some unique firsthand insight into. And it, it will be very revealing. Well, um, it all ties back to the price of palladium topping $2,500 an ounce. Interesting. It's probably why we're in the corner of this establishment so we can check over your back. <laughs> I always sit with my back to the wall. <laughs> yeah. Nothing especially wrong with if that. you're a good journalist, it's a good plan. Well, JR, thanks for coming on. If people want to, are you, you're more active on Facebook than Twitter. Yes, I am. And, and it's a kind of a walled garden approach, uh, for sure. So you see things that other folks don't see. I have a, a number of lists that I subscribe people to, and it keeps things friendly so that uh, people can opt in or opt out, or most people have no idea that I've put them into uh, categories. Uh, they they see things that other folks don't and no one feels left out. So if my people want to follow you, if your people want to follow yeah. me, tell them to, uh, send me a friend request, send me a message as well With and say, hour. and, <laughs> and say, Drew said, I'm okay. <laughs> and, uh, you can, you can ask me for anybody too, or they can just, uh, end their donation in 27 cents. And that way I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll know that they're one of yours. Sounds good. Well, Jared, thanks for, thanks for coming and talking to me and everyone. Thanks for tuning in.